welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right, everybody, we're back again. Uh, I've got a good friend and amazing mathematician and uh, the grandmaster poobah of everything technical and in archery i've got james park with me james thanks for joining me again man lovely to do so john um well last time we talked about you know foundation form got into some pretty pretty good stuff that i think a lot of people out out there aren't really going to hear from the average joe that's for sure but uh now let's get into some nitty-gritty because you and I have done some pretty, I mean, you were doing, you started to do some things with with aerodynamics, a little bit of plotting. You had kind of got your first shooting machine. I remember, um, I remember when I swayed you over from the PSE dark side yeah. to, <laughs> to, to come over and, and be part of my team. And, and, uh, and then when I went to Hoyt, I, the first thing I said is if if I get a say so on who I can rally up with some with some of my shooter budget, James Park's coming on. So, um, you know, I I really, I, I really from John. <laughs> I, some of the stuff you were doing and some of the photos that you were doing with your shooting machine were super cool. You were like you were getting um, like actual freeze frame shots of an arrow halfway through eggs. Yep, <laughs> that was awesome. How are you doing that again? I can't. Were you setting up a timer? Well, what what I was doing, I um, with well, yeah, the, the compound bow in the shooting machine, and I used the cocking lever on the on the release device uh, to close a micro switch, which started a timer. And I could set that timer for a you know, range of intervals, so that I could then um, use the the timer to trigger a a, a high power flash. Um, aligned where I wanted to catch the arrow and uh, with, with a high power flash and um, uh, the flash I was using measured the amount of light so it turned off as soon as there was enough light so I was getting very very short exposure so I could stop the arrow in about a millimeter and uh, wherever I wanted and uh, consequently really really what I was trying to do was to say what's the arrow doing as it comes out of the bow how's it behaving how is it flexing um, so I could do the mathematics, but then, uh, of course, you got to do then the fun shot of an arrow through an egg <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I remember that. But um, well, Clint and I had had touched on this briefly, and then he had mentioned that you had started doing a little bit of testing on this. So I'm actually curious now because I've done I've done quite a bit of testing as well. But see, most of my testing. As you know, when I test, I'm testing on the range. Um, and at times, it's hard to factor out small variables. Not yes. to mention, sometimes sometimes you convince yourself of what what is best, even if it's not. Which, that's why I would always call you, and you and I would always share information back together, because you are on the opposite side of that spectrum. You you were shooting things either computer generated through a shooting machine or 
mathematically calculating it based 100% on aerodynamic mathematics. Yes, what I was trying to do, John, I was trying, I've, what I've tried to do is to say, let's look at the physics, um, go straight to the maths and, and get a model, mathematical model for what's going on. Um, but of course, any mathematical, mathematical model is only as good as uh, you know, how well it predicts reality. So then I've been using them, the shooting machine to say, let's, let's run tests that, that check the mathematics now, confirm uh, if, the if, hypothesis. That's right, and if it does check out well, um, then I can use the maths to um, look at various hypotheses of what might be best or what might you know, be the impact of errors. And uh, so I've used the shooting machine a lot for that. Uh, I've done a lot of shooting indoors with it. Um, I've, t I've taken it out to 90 metres on the target range, and I've used it in wind tunnels. A whole lot of fun. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, one of the things I wanted to do was to say... Yeah, God, I don't want to come down there now for that, man. Oh, a lot of, a lot of fun. I've shot uh, Monash University, where I've, I've study has, has got a very, very large wind tunnel. And so I've shot a whole range of arrows inside the wind tunnel, saying, what's the wind drift like? And how well does that match the uh, mathematics? Well, let's, um, let's just cut right to... Let's, I mean, we're going to get into this. But before we get into it, I want to cut through all the bull crap. And you just tell me, tell me right now, and I know what it is, but I want you to tell me, if you're doing this in these wind tunnels, you tell me right now what is the most superior aerodynamic arrow on the market. Right, I've, um, I've looked really closely at uh, a lot of arrows, and as I've measured a lot of them, uh, both on, down on the range and in the wind tunnel. Uh, the one I choose to, to use for my tournaments uh, uh, is the Eastern, uh, either Pro 2 or X10. And uh, together with that, I use quite a small fletch. Um, I've tested a lot of knocks. The best knock is the, uh, the G-pin knock. And I, I try to... Um, I use the tungsten point, but I've, um, I've reshaped it slightly. Uh, oh, <laughs> um, one of the things some we, of those. Oh, they're, 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 they're fun, John uh, <laughs> Less bulge is the trick Alright uh, and, and a very important thing I've found uh, Is uh, to put a little bit of angle on the fletches Get the arrow to spin Well, see um, This is This is now where I'm interested And I'm, I may or may not argue But um if Easton's listening and and you've seen Jim's new tungsten design, the campaign has got to be less bulge for your buck. That's it. As soon <laughs> as I heard you said that, I can you know naturally my marketing mind kind of thought less bulge yep. for the buck. There we go. Absolutely. So tungsten mark too. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So this is interesting. I want to hear at what degree you believe in this and i guess at that point we'll see whether or not james and john decide to argue argue on something so let me hear what what you did to come up with this and then at what point you realized that was the sweet spot well what i, what I was trying to do john was calculate the um the aerodynamic drag of an arrow uh because the you know the, the drag 
does two things that influences the downrange velocity, but more importantly, uh, the, the drag influences uh, d very directly the wind drift. Uh, and uh, yeah, for, for my game, I, wind drift is everything. I want a minim minimum wind drift I can get. And the, what that tells me first is I want a very heavy, small diameter arrow. Yeah, it's the Pro 2 or X10. Uh, they're nice and heavy and they're, they're small diameter. But then you want the drag from all the components of the arrow to be small. And uh, so what that says is you don't want overly much fletch area, which also means you've got to tune your bow properly to get the arrow to fly properly. You want a small diameter, uh, very well-shaped knock because the the wake of the arrow from the knock is, is actually quite a lot of the drift. And uh, we thought while we were at it, <clears throat> let's have a go at the point as well. So we, we built some scale models of the points and uh, measured them in a water channel, um, measured in water so that you can see the flow um, around the point um, more easily. And um, what, you, what you're wanting there is, yeah, in, in the flow around, the, around an object, you, you can either be a smooth or it can be turbulent. Yep. And you want uh, smooth, what you want obviously. Smooth as lower drag. So you want it, and now, as you go along the arrow shaft, sooner or later, it's, it's certain to be turbulent. That's just the physics. Yeah, but you don't yeah. want to create a rolling turbulent at the beginning to then in contact with the, the yeah, you rolling want, turbulent um, at the rear. You want the, the first part of the flow, uh, you want that to be smooth, and you want it to be smooth as far along the shaft as you can get. And typically, that's about 100 millimeters if you can... If you can keep it smooth, after about 100 millimetres of shaft, it's going to be turbulent. Yep. And yep. Um, putting the different point shapes in the water channel, um, it very strongly said less bulge. Um, the more, if if the, the, the rear slope and the bulge is too great, it's immediately turbulent and the drag's higher. Yep. Um, yep. So, yeah, the point shape actually matters. But, uh, yeah, hence, hence the work. Well... We're getting into some cool stuff here, and and I we're gonna get through it, believe me, because you know that you know this is the kind of stuff, this is the kind of stuff that I love with archery, and and honestly, you know, I guess this might be the one time people say it. This is the one thing that I don't feel like I get much credit for. Um, you know, I'm I've never been the guy that really talks me, I, my. Uh, you know, throughout what I do, because honestly, um, I do it for these reasons. You know, you and I have done a lot of this stuff, and we do it because it fascinates us. And one thing that you're saying right now about this turbulent drag, this actually is tying into something that I found years ago when I first started working with some of the short, high-profile veins. Yep. What I found was some of the short, high-profile veins that had a very steep um, cut right off the front, they actually they created more noise, um, which to me is a direct relation to um, to turbulence, you know, to drag. Yes. And what I found was on some of those um, style veins, and I'm not going to, you know, I try to do a good job of, Giving people information, not you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but what I did is I actually took a fingernail clipper and started reducing that peak 
to bring that down. And this, I was doing this mainly because I was trying to find the quietest, short, compact fletch possible. Yep. Um, although a four fletch with four small fletches flew very good for me, um, it, it obviously had it. You know, it creates a fourth turbulence, so it it's it had more noise. Um, yes. And even though it steered good, it actually it impacted slightly lower, obviously, for drag as well. But once I took that fingernail clipper and nipped the that back where it comes to a point and then it goes down on the radius, yes, it got quieter. But then the actual, what was amazing is the actual ability for that arrow to, to fly. It actually went down the crapper. Um, ah, you know, which yeah. which was interesting for me because, you know, obviously it was creating something that, you know, I thought would have been, you know, more turbulent. But I guess the fact that it was creating more is what made that small product capable of steering a broadhead, you know, ultimately. Yeah, that's, um, that's nice work, John. Um, and my studies would match up with that really well. Um, when when I was calculating the the, um, the drag from fletches, yeah, you obviously you think you know, there's drag along the sides of the fletches, and that's uh, what you'd call friction drag uh, along the side of the of the fletch. And of course, you want to minimise that. But the other one uh, that I calculated as well was the the frontal edge of the the, the vane. That's the, the projected frontal area, and. Uh, Interestingly, the projected frontal area drag is actually quite large as well. And uh, what the, uh, the the maths then says is that for a given vein area, uh, you ought to use a, a lower profile fletch, and that you get the same uh, you get the same amount of vein giving you steerage from the area, uh, but but you reduce the uh, pressure drag from the frontal uh, the, the projected frontal area. So what I'm tending to do now is to say a lower vein might perhaps a little bit longer yeah yeah absolutely um you know right now i've actually um i've really um fallen quite fond of this uh low profile 2.1 aae um I wish I had yep. one in here. Do you, are you familiar with the one I'm talking about? Yeah, it's actually the ones that I'm, you know, I put the, I put our knock on name on them and we're selling them, um, you know, at knockon.com or knockonarchery.com, I should say, because yeah. that's, that's what I've got on my target arrows right now. And I've, I've actually had some really good luck with them at the longer ranges. Yep. Yep. I, I think they would work well, John. Uh, they've got the right um, uh, attributes from the, from the maths. Yeah. Now the other thing, the other thing that um, my work has strongly pointed to is that you you ought to have the fletches a little bit of an angle, so you're spinning them. I guess that's particularly important with a broadhead. Oh, yeah. um, absolutely, for all the right reasons. But but I found it's also very important for target arrow. And uh, I've done a lot of testing with the shooting machine uh, with with arrows with the the veins on with no angle. And uh, then put a bit of angle on and uh, get them spinning a little bit, and the accuracy of the group size is halved uh, when I put the angle on. And uh, then I've looked at how rapidly they spin, and uh, with, with about one degree of uh, vein angle on my pro tours, they're spinning about once every two meters. And uh, with one degree, 
Yep. Yeah, I guess yep. that's right. Sorry. And, uh, one, you said once size. every two meters. So, yep. you know. Um, quick. And what, what I found is that the group size is markedly smaller than if I have no angle. Yep. Okay. Uh, did, a, did a test in, um, a couple of years ago with uh, one of our national team members, one of the ladies, and with the shooting machine uh, with her veins on straight. Uh, we were barely getting the group within the 10 at 30 metres. Took the fletches off, put them on at an angle, and uh, then they group on a thumbnail at 30 metres. Well, okay, this is this is going to get me dipping into some other things um, because I've done some tests on this as well, and um, obviously I'm. The game has changed now. I mean, 50 meters is the name of the game, so you know, an arrow that is that comes out of the bow with a higher rate of spin is definitely going to stabilize faster. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, and obviously at 50 meters and the fact that because, you know, the angle and the spin, that's not affected by, you know, a horizontal wind. No. Okay. And I understand that too. Um, and I want to make sure the listeners understand it. So with a crosswind, if your arrow's spinning faster, um, you know, it doesn't matter because ultimately the, tr the force that is applying a side pressure to your object, it's only applying pressure to the, to the physical outline ultimately of your arrow. You know, it, it's, it's applying that horizontal pressure to the shape, not necessarily when you're looking, you know, straight down the back of the arrow, you know, that offset because it's, it's coming across. But with that said, um, I found that an arrow that's spinning too fast begins to slow down at a higher rate of speed when we start getting to extreme distances. Yes, I agree with you, John. Um, if you do the maths, which I've done, um, if, you, if you spin them too quick, of course, if you spin them, it does cost a little bit of energy, so you lose a tiny bit of arrow speed, and so you don't want to overdo it. Yeah. Um, hence, um, I spin it enough to get the accuracy improved, but but you know, don't overdo it. Spinning it at about once every couple of meters, like I do, with about you know one one degree of vein angle or a bit less, costs you about uh, maybe a, a foot, maybe a foot and a half per second. Yeah. So, but so it's uh, there's a tiny cost in arrow speed, but a big increase in accuracy. Um, but you wouldn't want to spin them uh, you know, a lot faster than that because, again, you say you're giving away, you're giving away velocity that you don't need to. Well, and it's it's a proven fact ballistically. The higher the rate a ballistic declines in its speed, the quicker it also declines in its initial point of accuracy. You know, yeah. so in yeah. other words, the faster an arrow starts to slow down, the more it will start to to be able to open up its its group and ultimately not hit the intended target. Yep. Yep, so uh, it's it's a it's a it's a balance between enough spin but not too much spin. Yep. So well, let me ask you this cuz I've done the testing too, so I I kind of know what my distances are, but I'm curious to to yours um you know, and and I found this I originally found this to be true when um, when the quick spins first came out because I really liked the idea and I actually shot the quick spin veins for indoor 
at 18 meters because at the time, you know, well, if you remember, at that time, there weren't pro points. So the only people that were building heavy enough points to truly bend an arrow properly at those huge diameters that we were shooting from indoors, they were either guys that were custom building their points with, you know, I used to hit, um, I used to smash bullet rounds in the back of them. But if you weren't doing that and you were shooting the standard points at Easton Kane, the only way to get those big old posts to shoot was you had to get those things spinning like a rock. That's why everyone was shooting huge feathers then. But the yes. quick the quick spins worked, and obviously immediately there was a, um, a drive to come out with the small, the very, you know, the short quick spin veins. And I, I was amazed at how many people – here over in the u.s came to the first tournament with them and i knew right away i'm like those things at 90 you know because a lot of people back then didn't really practice at 90 the guys that were good shot at 90 and i knew for me i found that once you get past about that 66 yard mark about 60 meters it seems like that speed retention starts to really increase in its importance yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with you. Uh, one of the things I did in my studies, uh, you know, I mentioned I was calculating the drag of arrows, uh, and to it, it's a hard thing. To, it's a hard thing to actually measure. But one of the ways to measure it is to measure downrange arrow velocity. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's so the easiest I, way. It's easiest way. I can, yeah. Uh, so one of the things I did was to use my shooting machine uh, uh, on the target range, shooting arrows through my my eastern chrono uh, out to ninety meters at the target. At the target, you and, didn't trust uh, yourself shooting through it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, one of the my my uh, my chrono's now got a few dints. Uh, but what I found was there, as you would expect, is that the the low drag arrows at those longer distances, you can get them through the the chrono easy enough. But as soon as you get a, a bit too much drag. Uh, at those longer distances, you start to hit the chrono. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I was bending uh, Pro Tours or X10s through the chrono at, at 90 meters, but then, then you try that with a, let me think, a you know, light speed uh, that has um, got more drag because it's bigger diameter and it's light. It's, it, much a, yeah. it's a much harder thing to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's not just because it's bigger. In my opinion, it's, you know, you... And I, and I found that, I'm trying to think what distance. I actually, um, I figured out a distance. I would have said about 60 meters. Well, you're, what I just said with drag, where the drag becomes important, it is, it is around 60 meters. It was around 66 yeah. yards. There was a conversion. But I've also found there's a conversion because this was a question I was asked a lot in field. People wanted to know, should I shoot a... ACE out of my bow at 300 feet per second, or should I shoot an X10 out of my bow at 280 feet a second? There's uh-huh. always been this, there's always been this contemplation of is a faster arrow coming out of the bow better than shooting a slow arrow? And to a point, it is, but there comes a point where where the where the speed and the mass cross one another. Oh, absolutely. At 90 metres, uh, your X10 will be going faster than your ACE. Well, did, have you figured out at what point those actually cross? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, 
uh, offhand, I can't exactly remember, but what it, what it surely tells you is that at those very long distances, the thin, heavy arrow is, is by, by way the best. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, in part of my uh, part of my PhD uh, thesis was exactly uh, some graphs that that cover that stuff, and uh, what it said was what was interesting. In fact, you know, if you're looking at uh, say target archery, your wind drift kills you. Uh, so, and particularly at the long ranges, so you definitely want the thin, you know, small to amber, a heavy arrow. But then you say field archery, um, where the distance is a bit shorter. Uh, uh, do you win by uh, a big fat arrow so that you cut the line, or do you win by a, a smallest diameter arrow that's uh, got higher downrange velocity? Or um, and, and then also the wind drift might matter if if the course is a bit exposed. And uh, what I came to the conclusion of was that you were better off using a smaller diameter arrow. Um, potentially, the the ACE could work pretty well, uh, but something like a Pro Tour is is still an excellent choice for. Uh, for the longer distances on field. Um, one of the things I've often been asked is, you know, perhaps, perhaps if I use a, a larger arrow, um, you know, I'll break the lines more often. Uh, but if you do the calculation and look at, the, at any wind drift, any wind drift at all, it says use the small diameter. You're going to be better. I mean, at 50 metres, it's a, what is it, a half a mile an hour. A quarter of a mile an hour will push an arrow further than what the, than, than the, say the difference of a you know a 25 12 yep. versus an ace i mean i'm talking you could yep. actually blow out of your mouth if you could blow out of your mouth on that arrow for the length of that target you've That's already right. lost the advantage of a large diameter shaft better to use a pro tour yeah um i came to the conclusion you do the maths and i did the maths even at 10 meters 10 meters was even better to use a small diameter arrow so what I what I generally advise people is that, for example, if you're shooting 3D, uh, if it's windy at all, they're probably best off with something like an ACE. Yep, yep. Well, even, even though it's small diameter. See, when I did shoot ACEs, I would always go up one size stiffer in spine. Get, get it a bit well, heavier. Yeah, but then I would put at least 120 up in the front, you know. Yep. Yep, yep, and a lot of people like to shoot their ACEs light. You know, they like to keep them at 300 feet per second. I was always putting an extra 20 grains in the front of mine, and then keeping them around the 290 mark. And then yes. once, and then once I, you know, ultimately the comp. I remember to this day because I think, well, I guess that door's open behind me. You can see that. But on that, if that door was closed, that's um, it's actually a a really cool plaque that's got um the australian gold medal in there and the and that uh, national record for the field but um if you recall um for that tournament i was i remember i was shooting an x10 with two and a half off the back 120 grain points and ultimately an x10 with two and a half off the back um is dang near a pro tour i mean ultimately it's it's a pro tour and you know that bow was shooting right at about 280 feet per second and you know obviously we were down there we shot the marked field we shot an unmarked field we also shot the feta and and i had i had made up my mind a year before that already that the x10 the 10 foot per second did not give me extra points on a field range if there if wind had any type of factor absolutely And, and 
I can't remember. We did have we had a few targets where there was some wind. Um, yes. On that on that field round. Yes. But you know, for that whole field round, you know, I missed ten X's. Yeah, I, I, like I, it was impressive. It was a perfect score with uh, a whole lot of X's. It was a, it was a <laughs> great round. <laughs> yeah, I could literally fun. count on both my hands how many X's I missed. Not I mean, many. <laughs> yeah, it was impressive. Um, I, I absolutely agree, John. That, that I, I think you, you'll be better off with, uh, uh, you know, any wins at all. That choice of arrow is going to be the best. Um, you're going to score the best. So, uh, and you mentioned uh, chopping a little bit off the back of the X10. Uh, the math says to do that too. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're using X10s with a compound, you, you would not do it with a recurve, of course, because you want the back flexibility because that gives you better clearance. Right. Uh, but X10 with a um, a compound bow, I, I chop 50 millimeters off, two inches off. Yeah. And yep. Uh, that's the lowest. That's the lowest drag. Well, and from a drag point of view, it is. Um, I mean, tuning an X10, just chop, chopping two inches off the back, for those of you out there who might go out and buy X10s, um, there's, look, make sure before you do that, there's um, an article that I've written called um, Conquering the Hill. You can find it on DudleyArchery.info. Um, but... Even though ideally, from a wind drag point of view, two inches off the back would would give you a benefit from an X10. The point of the Easton Pro Tour and the Pro Field is the fact that it eliminates the need for calculation of how much to cut off the back of the arrow in addition to the front, because yes. you have the benefit of the tapered arrow in the front. And then once it gets to the label, um, it's actually a parallel shaft throughout the back. And on those types of shafts, the Pro Tour and the Pro Field, you do not want to cut anything off the back because you'll actually weaken the spine because you're removing more of the stiffer part of the arrow. Yes, only, only off the front, absolutely. Yep. yep. And for a compound archery, the Pro Tours or the Pro Fields are kind of the the more, uh, I guess, the easier to tune of, of any of them. You know, you can you can tune them very easily with um, point weights and changing your poundage three, three pounds plus or minus be equivalent to a spine. Um, so you can really tweak them in, if, you know, by utilizing that. But um, let me ask you, how high of an angle... Because, I mean, for X10s, if you have too much angle, you're not going to have clearance. I mean, there's such a small arrow, you're not going to have clearance even with the blade. Um, but what is, I mean, if you did you try it at 1, 2, and 3 degrees? Have you? Yeah, I, I think you'll find that, you know, 3 degrees, you wouldn't be able to get the, the vein on the shaft too to easy. attach, yeah. 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 So it's, um, I have tried it, but um, uh, I, I'm a bit less than 1 degree. Yep. And uh, you can fit that on an X10 or a Pro Tour, okay. Oh, more than that, you start to get vein overhanging the edge of the shaft. But um, yeah, yeah, say 0. 0.6 degree to one degree, it, it's plenty of angle anyway. Um, you don't need any more than that. Now I'm talking there a relatively short little fletch. If right. you use a longer fletch, of course, you can't get as much angle, but that's okay. So I, I'm, I'm saying something like make it make it at least half a degree. 
and not more than one degree and you'll have plenty of spin, you won't be giving away too much downrange velocity and uh, any, any irregularities you'll average them out and so I think you'll find the group will be best. Well, that's awesome. That's super, super cool information. Um, you know, and, and like I said, although I was prepared to disagree with you on something, because Clint said, no, James has done a lot of, um, he said James has been doing a bunch of calculations on that. Now he's finding that you actually want a big, a big uh, an offset on it. And I said... Uh -huh. One of the one of the traps I've found, John, and I'm sure you must have found the trap too, is uh, that you, you you talk to the the guys around the uh, around the country, and you say something like, uh, "We want the the string off the archer's face for all the right reasons." The next thing you discover that the recurve archers have got the string you know, two inches off their face. You think, "No, no, 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 don't mean that." <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I found the same thing with vein angle. You say you, you tell the uh, the archers, I want a little bit of vein angle. The next thing you discover, they're trying to put five degrees on a or helical one or on the target arrow. You think, <laughs> yeah. No, I've seen that. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I've found as a coach, we've got to be um, a little bit careful in how we we get the information across and uh, try to make sure that they they don't uh, say, yeah, if a little bit of something is good, then ten times that is going to be better. Not always the case. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm going to kind of. I'm just going to throw this out there because I know that I'm going to have um, several guys listening, hopefully a lot of people listening that are 3D archers. So with that in mind, you know, their game is um, shorter, 50 yards and under, or right around the 50-yard mark and under. And, you know, what's funny is I'm, I'm thankful that I was a 3D archer before I was a target archer. Um, and... Quite frankly, I I can't believe the scores that I shot as a 3D archer because we shot the most unforgiving setups that you could possibly build in archery. Yeah. We yeah. Sh you know we shot high poundage bows, we shot arrows that were way too stiff, crazy light points. Um, you'll get a kick out of this, Jim. I wish I could get up. I wish my headphones reached long enough so I could go over into my archer room and grab an arrow that I won a 3D tournament with. I might send you a picture of it, but um, it was a 2613. Um, Frank Pearson had some, I had some custom um, Delrin bushings machined down for the back of them. They fit in, they were flat, and a G-knock would go inside of this Delrin bushing on a 2613. And I, well. shot, I shot Flight Mate Cool 30 points. I shot 30 grain points. Wow. Be because I won't, and and those things flew like a dart. Yep. Now, if someone tooted downrange, I would miss the target. But in those in those small little timbers where we didn't have a lot of wind, those yep. things shot awesome, and they and they worked perfectly for me. But for the most part, you know, as a three D archer, a lot of these guys are trying to shoot a big diameter shaft. They're trying to shoot full bores. They're trying to shoot twenty seven twelves. You know, they're trying to shoot twenty six elevens. Um, they're shooting lighter points. Uh, you know, in in those instances, and especially because you're shooting at fifty yards and under, yes. having a higher percentage, you know, a higher degree offset or even a helical on some of your short veins would still be okay for you because I don't think, you know, one, when you're shooting ultimately a telephone pole, 
out of your bow, you need that thing to stabilize. And you yeah, a need... Bit of, bit of helical would not be a bad thing. Yep, yep. So if you're a 3D archer and you're trying to shoot that big shaft cutter, the big line cutter, um, because of the fact that you're shooting at 50 and in, then I think you might need to, to go with a more aggressive offset. However... Yes. You know, you are going to have, in the windy condition, you will have a disadvantage. Yeah, um, any, wind, any wind, I'd be out there with the pro fields. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that comes to a, you know, I used to build a certain bow. I would always have bows that I would take to certain ranges, areas where I knew we shot in a lot of tunnels, you know, thick timber with lanes cut. Um, I would shoot a fat diameter shaft. I wouldn't have a problem. But then when I went to some of the more open country ranges, um, like McKean, Pennsylvania or something for the IBOs, um, I would always, you know, back then we didn't have pro fields, but I would go down to an ACC 349 and, yes. and try to, you know, I would reduce my diameter just for the fact that I could, um, you know, I would slow my bow down a, a slightly, but I would be able to, know that if i had any type of wind i would i would be in an advantage not a disadvantage yeah absolutely yes absolutely you get a bit less wind drift than the next guy you you've got a chance well um i think we covered some super cool things and um when i first called you um i had asked you if you'd heard any of the podcast yet i'm super um it's like it's like um, someone patting me on the back when you told me that you did and you liked them. I, I, lo- I love your work, John. It's uh, <laughs> and to get the the articles you stick in the magazines, I, I think they're uh, they're the first ones I go to. I love what you do. Well, yeah, I think that there. See, someone like you probably has seen work that I do, and and now there's starting to become some newer archers that are coming in that are kind of getting dangerously too close to duplicating my articles so those of you out there you know who you are i am watching and there will come a point where you get an arrow to the back of the legs you know at least give me some credit because you know i think if you've read my articles you'll know that there's times where like if i write about ballistics you know i credit you because you know james has been a big part of coming up with some of these conclusions and when i talk about back tension i talk you know i credit the people um like randy ulmer the guys that have helped me and uh you know i'm thankful for this podcast because it's going to allow me to actually bring some of you guys forward because unfortunately you know it's with anything the guys that are behind the scenes are the ones that are normally doing the the work the ones that want to do the strutting or the ones that are getting the credit um but let me ask you this: If you've listened to some, and since you've been reading my stuff, I want I want to hear some uh, criticism from you. Is there anything? Is there anything that I've said that you particularly don't agree with? That you can no, recall? No, there I can't recall it, John. Uh, there, there's quite a few of your articles I've made sure so the archers I coach have gone and read. Um, for example, the ways of dealing with the pressures of competition, uh, I, I've particularly liked. Um, the the stuff you've covered on structure I particularly like, and uh, the feedback I've got from uh, my archers is that they've really enjoyed them. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, hey, when I when I come down there, I want to I really want to do some wind tunnel stuff. 
Um, what I would really like to do, if you can arrange it, I would love to somehow implement um, a force detector to where we can we can cut out some some card um, or maybe you'll just do it before I come. <laughs> but I want you to cut out like plywood silhouettes of say someone with my structure and then someone with say the structure of Clint or Rio and actually measure the amount of of pressure you could probably calculate it anyway but the amount of pressure that wind um actually pushes on that article or that archer because you know i've said for a long time when it's windy you know i've never i've never been able to outperform clint or or rio um when it gets when we're out there on a feta standing on a line and it's super windy i mean my head you know from my chest up is sticking above those guys and uh and and my arm you know my arm alone is sticking you know a foot out further past and then just from strictly a ballistic point of view my arrows are like three inches to four inches longer that are affected by that wind too so i would you know i would love to know how much pressure is actually pushing on an archer um, of say six five versus an archer that's five ten. I think that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. I'll see if I can calculate it, John. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, um, everybody out there, this is James Park from from Australia. Um, an amazing guy, super important for our industry. Make sure you guys uh, look up his work. He's got some really good books. Um, are you doing any new p- computer programs? I haven't really looked lately. Uh, the, my site setting one's the main, uh, the main one, John. I've got a couple also that I've made available on uh, Aerodynamics. That uh, they're, they're more researchy ones. Yep. Well, why don't you let people know where they could go if they wanted to get some of that stuff? Give them an email or a web address or an email address so they can check it out. Yeah, um, a lot of my stuff's available from uh, Pat's Archery in uh, in Australia. Okay, well that'll work perfect. You can go, you can just Google Pat's Archery Australia, and uh, you'll link right in because Pat has a nice web store. Um, you know, hello everyone down in Australia. Uh, I miss you guys, and uh, you know, I'm sure I'll see you soon. Thanks so much, James, for talking with me again, and uh, I look forward to coming back down there and uh, having a tea in the backyard, seeing your, uh, seeing all your cool wild parrots. That, fly into the trees back there (laughs) it's a pleasure john hey everyone make sure you uh tune in for another knock on podcast spread the word and thanks so much for listening to what we have to say be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com